The following was recorded by John Loth and is intended for educational purposes. This recording is not to be sold or distributed for sale. If you wish to support the work and publishing of these recordings, please visit the John Loth Patreon page. If you come across these recordings anywhere else without my expressed support and find that they are requesting donations for presenting this work to you, you will not be supporting the creator by doing so. This is just a friendly warning to anyone who may fall prey to predatory practices I have come across recently. The Grand Chessboard by Zbigniew Brzezinski Chapter 7 Conclusion The time has come for the United States to formulate and prosecute an integrated, comprehensive, and long-term geostrategy for all of Eurasia. This need arises out of the interaction between two fundamental realities. America is now the only global superpower, and Eurasia is the globe's central arena. Hence, what happens to the distribution of power on the Eurasian continent will be of decisive importance to America's global primacy and to America's historical legacy. American global primacy is unique in its scope and character. It is a hegemony of a new type that reflects many of the features of the American democratic system. It is pluralistic, permeable, and flexible. Attained in the course of less than a century, the principal geopolitical manifestation of that hegemony is America's unprecedented role on the Eurasian landmass, hitherto the point of origin of all previous contenders for global power. America is now Eurasia's arbiter with no major Eurasian issue soluble without America's participation or contrary to America's interests. How the United States both manipulates and accommodates the principal geostrategic players on the Eurasian chessboard, and how it manages Eurasia's key geopolitical pivots will be critical to the longevity and stability of America's global primacy. In Europe, the key players will continue to be France and Germany and America's central goal should be to consolidate and expand the existing democratic bridgehead on Eurasia's western periphery. In Eurasia's Far East, China is likely to be increasingly central, and America will not have a political foothold on the Asian mainland unless an American-Chinese geostrategic consensus is successfully nurtured. In the center of Eurasia, the space between an enlarging Europe and a regionally rising China will remain a geopolitical black hole, at least until Russia resolves its inner struggle over its post-imperial self-definition, while the region to the south of Russia, the Eurasian Balkans, threatens to become a cauldron of ethnic conflict and great power rivalry. In that context, for some time to come, for more than a generation, America's status as the world's premier power is unlikely to be contested by any single challenger. No nation-state is likely to match America in the four key dimensions of power military, economic, technological, and cultural that cumulatively produce decisive global political clout. Short of a deliberate or unintentional American abdication, the only real alternative to American global leadership in the foreseeable future is international anarchy. In that respect, 
It is correct to assert that America has become, as President Clinton put it, the world's indispensable nation. It is important to stress here both the fact of that indispensability and the actuality of the potential for global anarchy. The disruptive consequences of population explosion, poverty-driven migration, radicalizing urbanization, ethnic and religious hostilities, and the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction would become unmanageable if the existing and underlying nation-state-based framework of even rudimentary geopolitical stability were itself to fragment. Without sustained and directed American involvement, before long, the forces of global disorder could come to dominate the world scene. And the possibility of such a fragmentation is inherent in the geopolitical tensions, not only of today's Eurasia, but of the world more generally. The resulting risks to global stability are likely to be further increased by the prospect of a more general degradation of the human condition, particularly in the poorer countries of the world. The demographic explosion and the simultaneous urbanization of these populations are rapidly generating a congestion not only of the disadvantaged, but especially of the hundreds of millions of unemployed and increasingly restless young whose level of frustration is growing at an exponential rate. Modern communications intensify their rupture with traditional authority while making them increasingly conscious and resentful of global inequality and thus more susceptible to extremist mobilization. On the one hand, the rising phenomena of global migrations, already reaching into the tens of millions, may act as a temporary safety valve. But on the other hand, it is also likely to serve as a vehicle for the transcontinental conveyance of ethnic and social conflicts. The global stewardship that America has inherited is hence likely to be buffeted by turbulence, tension, and at least sporadic violence. The new and complex international order, shaped by American hegemony, and within which the threat of war is off the table, is likely to be restricted to those parts of the world where American power has been reinforced by democratic socio-political systems and by elaborate external multilateral, but also American-dominated, frameworks. An American geostrategy for Eurasia will thus be competing with the forces of turbulence. In Europe, there are signs that the momentum for integration and enlargement is waning and that traditional European nationalisms may reawaken before long. Large-scale unemployment persists, even in the most successful European states, breeding xenophobic reactions that could suddenly cause a lurch in French or German politics toward significant political extremism and inward-oriented chauvinism. Indeed, a genuinely pre-revolutionary situation could even be in the making. The historical timetable for Europe, outlined in Chapter 3, will be met only if Europe's aspirations for unity are both encouraged and even prodded by the United States. The uncertainties regarding Russia's future are even greater, and the prospects for a positive evolution much more tenuous. It is therefore imperative for America to shape a geopolitical context that is congenial to Russia's assimilation 
into a larger setting of growing European cooperation, and that also fosters the self-reliant independence of its newly sovereign neighbors. Yet, the viability of, say, Ukraine or Uzbekistan, not to speak of the ethnically bifurcated Kazakhstan, will remain uncertain, especially if American attention becomes diverted by new internal crises in Europe, by a growing gap between Turkey and Europe, or by intensifying hostility in American-Iranian relations. The potential for an eventual grand accommodation with China could also be aborted by a future crisis over Taiwan, or because internal Chinese political dynamics prompt the emergence of an aggressive and hostile regime, or simply because American-Chinese relations turned sour. China could then become a highly destabilizing force in the world, imposing enormous strains on the American-Japanese relationship and perhaps also generating a disruptive geopolitical disorientation in Japan itself. In that setting, the stability of Southeast Asia would certainly be at risk, and one can only speculate how the confluence of these events would impact on the posture and cohesion of India, a country critical to the stability of South Asia. These observations serve as a reminder that neither the new global problems that go beyond the scope of the nation-state nor more traditional geopolitical concerns are likely to be resolved or even contained if the underlying geopolitical structure of global power begins to crumble. With warning signs on the horizon across Europe and Asia, any successful American policy must focus on Eurasia as a whole and be guided by a geostrategic design.